Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, also a keynote and TEDx speaker and author of Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym, and it's your source of all kinds of information related to positive psychology, my own particular spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and all things related to wellness. It's also the place where you can communicate with me and even suggest guests for future podcasts. As listeners to the podcast know, my goal is always to bring you guests who are not only knowledgeable, but are good at communicating and helping us to lead our own lives enthusiastically and be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. Everybody kind of contributes from their own perspective. And today we have a really unique perspective and a really unique guest. I am looking forward to this conversation. Dr. John Leaf is a neuropsychiatrist, neuroscientist, and author. He has his BA from Yale University and an MD from Harvard Medical School. So for you younger listeners, just be aware of the fact, even if you just have to settle for your safe schools, you can sometimes become a success anyway. So Dr. Leaf is known as an innovator in several branches of psychiatry. He pioneered the development of integrated treatment programs for elderly, medically ill, and brain-injured patients, combining medical, psychiatric, and neurological treatment. He was president of the American Association for Geriatric Psychiatry and helped found the major journal in the field, the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry. His recent book, The Secret Language of Cells, what and I should point out that the paperback version is really recent, and we'll talk about it. But Secret Language of Cells is the title. The subtitle is What Biological Conversations Tell Us About the Brain-Body Connection, the Future of Medicine, and Life Itself. It explains the surprising science of how very different types of cells, bacteria and brain cells, blood cells, and viruses all speak the same language, which, it turns out, is the way that biology works. With application for immunity, chronic pain, weight loss, food allergies, depression, cancer treatment, and virtually every aspect of health and biology, cellular communication is revolutionizing our understanding, not just of disease, but of life itself. His award-winning blog is called Searching for the Mind. So you know we have a really unique guest, unlike others, anybody else we've had before, and I am so looking forward to it. John, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. Well, it's a great pleasure to be here. I love uh, your work as well. Well, let's get into it because I know we're going to run out of time because you have so much to contribute, but let's start kind of keeping in mind those people who went to 
high schools where you were able to opt out of biology or any of the other things beyond general science. So let me ask a question so that nobody is left out of it. What is a cell and why are cells so important? Well, just like philosophers through all time have looked for smaller and smaller basis of reality, finding atoms, biologists found cells. And what they found is that everything, all creatures seem to be based upon cells. And then they defined life as a cell that metabolizes, reproduces. The problem with that theory today is viruses, which are also, uh, some scientists don't think are alive, but I do believe they are. We can talk about that. So the, the definition of life is more complex. But my book shows that cells talk to each other and that that is the most important thing they do. And that so the definition of life now has to be cells that are talking to each other, not just cells that are reproducing. That's really, really fascinating. And is a cell something you can see or is it with, with a microscope, microscope or the naked? Yeah, you could. Now, some cells are very large, like a fungus cell can have a very large cell that you can see with the, with the, with the naked eye. But most cells, you need a, a microscope, not even that big of a microscope, powerful. But to see the details, you have to have these new, very, very complicated, powerful uh, microscopes. Viruses are way too small to see without the very, very powerful microscopes. And uh, microbes are about a thousand times smaller than human cells. And human cells vary in size, but they're vastly bigger than a microbe. And yet still, microbes, because they speak the same language as human cells, they're able to manipulate them and join in the conversation and, 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 and change and alter the behavior of our immune cells, our brain cells, gut cells, etc. Well, since it seems to be so central to your thinking and what you've presented, tell us about the language of cells. I mean, I'm assuming it's not like you and I conversing. How, how do cells communicate? Well, everyone sort of knows probably by now that neurons send signals and circuits in the brain. They, they, they have these long axons, and then they send a, a, a chemical from one to the next. And that's the language of neurons. But the truth of the matter is neurons have many other ways to communicate. They also communicate sideways to immune cells. They send other signals. They also vibrate and send waves, uh, and they communicate that way. They also send little sacs filled with DNA and RNA, and they communicate that way. And now we're finding that they have electric fields around them, uh, and they communicate that way. So they communicate in a lot of different ways. The most is known about chemical, little chemicals that go from one cell to the other, or by touching and then sending chemicals. But there are actually a lot of different ways to communicate. Boy, that's so, I, well, it raises all kinds of questions in my mind. Before I get sucked into that way of thinking, I'd like to spend a, a minute or two learning a little bit more about you. You obviously, you are neuroscientist, neuropsychiatrist, not the typical kind of psychiatrist that some of us are aware of. So how, how did you happen to, to get into this, this line well, of work? I, I've spent you know, many years treating a specialized group of psychiatric patients. These are medical patients who have psychiatric illness or psychiatric patients who have uh, medical and neurological problems, or all three at one time. So I was treating uh, mental problems involving 
neurology, medical issues, and brain in injury. And I began to wonder, you know, which is which, where does it come from? So I said, what is mind? Like, is mind a physical thing? Is mind a chemical thing? Is mind a brainwave? Is my, a lot of the neuroscientists today think that mind is, is like a computer. It's a bunch of circuits that, that cause, uh, cause mind to exist. But so I started a, a website, by the way, none of those are true. As, uh, as far as I can see, they started a, I started a website called Searching for the Mind, where I was explore. And the problem with modern science today is that it's filled with so much jargon that no one can understand it. Even an expert in one hallway working on a, a problem, like two doors down, they're in the same field. They can't even understand their papers because the genes and the proteins and the receptors and all the, the words are such gobbledygook. So what I was doing is, uh, you know, people ask me, do I speak foreign languages? And I say, yes, I speak molecular biology and molecular genetics. And so what I was doing is translating articles into English in my blog. I did this for 10 years. So firstly, I'm looking in the human brain. And it's very obvious that you can't find a center for mind. There's no module of mind. There's nowhere to find it in, in the brain. So I'm looking further. I look at animals. I'm looking at all smaller and smaller birds, the remarkable brains of tiny brains of birds that are almost intelligent as chimpanzees or are equal intelligent, the octopus, but then smaller and smaller. The, the bee and the ant have incredible brains, termites. And then I came to cells after a bunch of years, and I saw that they were intelligent, and cells are communicating. They're in communities. They make decisions. They, uh, they do a lot of things. And not only that, but they can involve themselves in, in, in the complicated communication going on with immune cells and brain cells. Even little microbes can do this. And then finally, even viruses are communicating. So it became clear to me after a while that everything in biology is based upon signaling, upon how cells communicate with each other. And I looked around and I didn't see any books on this because it's so, and that's because of the jargon. I mean, you can't see the forest through the trees. You, you, it's very obvious that this is what biology is about. This is what modern medicine is about. You know, we read about T cells being used to fight cancers or viruses being used to fight cancers, the most modern treatments. The reason that those work is because the viruses and the T cells speak the same language as the cancer. Therefore, we can use them against each other. We alter it a little bit and we use them. So the language of the cells is really what's going on. And so I began to study that. And then it became apparent that it's obvious brain cells, everyone knows brain cells talk to each other in this way, but it's not as apparent of how significant the conversations are with blood vessel cells, with immune cells. Can I give you an example? Like, for example, uh, so T cells, which are the master immune cells, no one ever thought they were in the brain. And so, but then we found that there's like half a million of them in this, in this cerebral spinal fluid, and they're signaling back and forth to the neurons. Now, one of the things they do is when we're sick, the T cell tells the neuron to give us the sick feeling. And then the neuron turns on the sick feeling where we get lethargic, we, we get foggy, our cognition is less. And so the neuron makes the sick feeling based upon a signal from the T cell because the T cell wants the body to rest in order to use the energy to fight the infection. When the infection's done, only the T cell can tell the neuron to start normal cognition and he's sending signals, rev up the normal cognition. And then 
it keeps a pulse going, telling it, keep the normal cognition until I tell you that, that we're sick again. Another thing we found is that part of the very active brain process that, of memory and, and learning that goes on called neuroplasticity, which we'll talk about, is making new a small number of new brain cells in the memory center. And those are, are very, very important for new learning and new memory. Somehow they're part of the process. And when a new memory is made, it sort of associates with one of these new cells that are being made. Well, it turns out that the T cell tells the neuron to make less of them, tells the stem cells, when there's depression or serious long-term stress. So in depression and long-term stress, we make less of these brain cells, but it's the immune cell that tells the T cell, tells the neuron to do this. Another, it happens with now, acute stress, actually, we do better, but it, but once it goes on for a while, then we start having this brain fog uh, that, that comes with depression. There are many different communications. In the opposite direction, the neurons, it turns out, can create inflammation. And they can, like, for example, meditation, we eventually, we knew for years that meditation calms the heart and the, and the breathing, and, and they found out this is because of the vagus nerve. So there's a nerve that goes to the heart and it calms it. But we meditation also helps immunity. And the question is, how can that be? How can a meditation help immunity? Well, it turns out that the vagus nerve near the spleen sends the same signals that immune cells do and signals the immune cells to increase immunity against viruses. So that's called neuroimmune signaling and immune neurosignaling. And these circuits are really responding to everything we do, both social things, infection. The brain and the immune work together constantly. Now, in reality, it's much more complicated. It involves blood vessels. But I, I, made, I just make an example of how the most is known about the immune and the brain of this, what I'm talking about. And I go into this in detail. My book, by the way, it's not comp it's written for people who don't know anything biology but they're like stories of the cell it's just the lifestyle of the cell so i give examples of the immune cells and how they're talking and what happens and then a section on the brain cells etc well, i'm so appreciative of the fact that you're able to put this into regular language you know when you spoke about jargon i i mean it it hit home i've sat in in meetings where they've been talking about any type of neuroscience and I'm sitting there with a room full of people and listening to some some lectures uh, or presentations on research and so on. And I try to guess a lot of times how many people in the room know what that man or woman is talking about, you know? No one can follow this stuff. It's, it's, it's no one can follow it. It's too much. It, 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 the language of genetics and neuroscience is is insane and that's why no one can see the simplicity of what's happening yeah that's i mean really looking forward to, to reading about it because i mean again i just learned in five minutes something that uh i tried to figure out for a long time by trying to just keep up with stuff that's written in in ways in a different jargon different language and so on but you mentioned something that's really uh kind of important. I mean, a lot of things are important, but I remember 
in my first psychology class, I had a one of the reasons I went into the field is I had a, a number of really good professors and, and a good introduction to psychology. But one of the earliest things that that the professor said was, "There's no such thing as the mind." You mentioned the mind, and I know I've learned over the next many decades that uh, that isn't necessarily the correct opinion, that there's no such thing as the mind. Uh, But what is it? Well, the modern scientists today are materialists, and they say, since they have no clue of what mind is, and there's no scientific answer to that question, they say there's no such thing as mind because they don't know what it is. Um, The fact of the matter is everyone knows what mind is. We all have mind, and that's the most obvious thing in our life is our mind. And not only that, but we have a a way that we combine all the senses, all the motor into a coherent understanding of of what's happening that you'll never figure out by looking at neurons and or the structure of the brain. It's impossible because there's no place that brings it all together in our understanding of mind. So we don't know. We have no the current science has no definition of mind or intelligence for that matter. And therefore, they want to make believe it doesn't exist because we don't understand it. But it's obvious to anyone that they have a mind and that mind exists. And the question is, in nature, you can see evidence of it. So I was looking for evidence of intelligence, of decision making, of how what is able to evaluate what's going on, make this. I mean, there's certain things we associate with mind, which is being able to evaluate the situation, being able to make situations, talk, get information, communicate, and do things. And I was looking where that was occurring. And it turns out it's occurring everywhere. And it's occurring all through all through nature. And uh, the, the trees talk to each other through fungal wires. All the plants in the forest talk to each other through these wires that are funguses, and they send signals, and they protect each other, and they're aware of each other, and and they trade food and energy. Microbes are talking to our gut cells and telling, helping, as well as fighting off the bad microbes. You know, the gut cells deciding who their friends are and making relationships to keep away the bad ones. The skin cells are doing the same thing. The brain and the immune are talking. And it becomes apparent that if you're part of the group that wants to say the brain is associated with the mind, and obviously it's somehow associated with it, I think think it's more like a car that's being driven by the mind and does certain things for it. But the fact of the matter is, if you believe that, the brain, uh, most, most scientists would say the brain generates the mind, but there's no evidence of that. And we don't know where that would be in the, in the brain structure. But if that's true, then what I show in my book is that the immune and the blood cells are equally important and that the mind has to be associated with all the cells, not just. And that's, by the way, what it's funny. I never thought of my book as a business book, but the, the Harvard Business Review latched on to the fact that the body and the mind, the body and the brain are one thing, and it's all the mind. And, and they and they thought that was very good. And actually, another group, business group, said, oh, this is the holy grail because the holy grail of modern business is, is cellular communication. But I, I didn't write it as a business book. I wrote it as a book to show how mind is operating through cells 
all over the place and how mind is seeps through all of it and somehow is a greater thing. I mean, it's very obvious to us that the mind isn't in my brain or your brain. It's in between us because there's stuff happening between us. And not only that, but culture and science doesn't exist in my brain or your brain, but it's still a mental activity. And we're all aware of that and we can look into it. So the mind is a bigger uh, phenomenon than just this experience that I'm having of my visual auditory scene. Anyway, the bottom line is we don't know what mind is. And there's no scientific definition of it that makes any sense at all. But it does exist. <laughs> there's no question it exists. I mean, it's the, it's the one thing we know exists. I mean, the, who said that? I, I know, therefore I am. I mean, you know, it's true for all of us. If you say, oh, you know, the mind doesn't exist. People don't know what you're talking about because the most obvious thing to them is that they have a mind. And, and that's the way we experience it. Okay, I mean, well, you mentioned... We know we have a mind, you know? So, so, so you mentioned the, the term that I was going to go with, the bottom line. Uh, just in terms of bottom line lessons from this, as, as you probably know, I'm big on prevention. I'm big on quality of life. I'm big on people being able to live healthy as long as possible. What can we take from this information that enables us to practice certain things or do certain things that, that can benefit from what, what you're teaching? Well, I talk, if I talk about brain health, I talk about six conclusions, six things that come out of scientific studies that absolutely, that the brain is a three pound organ. And like any organ, it needs to be healthy. It needs to uh, have certain things that uh, it needs to be exercised. It needs to be fed. It, need, it needs to rest. I mean, certain things an organ has to have. So if you look at the various things, so for example, sleep is now known to be extremely important. But one of the reasons it's important is that when we sleep, the synapses between the neurons are relaxed and they're broken kind of, and the neurons shrink in half and then a flow of fluid goes through the brain and cleans out the junk, garbage, that is what causes Alzheimer's and other brain diseases are, the, uh, are these protein clumps. And so there's a flow of fluid at night that cleans it out. There are other parts of this cleaning process. It's, it's complicated. It's also the time when learning occurs. So the brain looks at what happened and what is important. It solidifies those synapses. It gets rid of these synapses. And then sleep is absolutely essential for learning. Uh, so when we wake up, the new learning is there and, and what we think is good to be keep is there. So that's one thing, sleep. We all know about exercise, it's the magic bullet, but what exercise does is it creates a window of, they call neuroplasticity. What neuroplasticity means that there's this vast chemical activity that builds circuits in the brain, that builds new circuits with learning. And it's the way we, it's the way we grow, it's the way we learn, it, it, it's, it's vital to everything we do. And after exercise, there's a window where it's, it's increased and the stuff we take in then is better. Uh, we can learn more. Of course, you can learn negative things as well. So for example, you take a rat and you exercise it, and then you give it cocaine, it'll become addicted faster. But if you also give it good things, it'll learn that faster. So clearly the way we use our brain, now the, the, the next thing is the way we use our brain. So 
No one knew how active these cells are. If you read my book, you can see how incredibly active this all is. It's dynamic. It's changing uh, every second. It's building. It's growing. And so the way we use our brain actually builds the circuits. And if we don't use our brain in certain ways, we won't grow those circuits. So the studies show that the older brain that is active is a much better brain, even with the prejudice about aging that's pretty widespread. In other words, you get circuits between the right and the left, you get circuits to the frontal lobe, all kinds of circuits. Now, let me give you an example. So you're a high jumper and you're gonna do your jump. You visualize the jump, you do it 30% better if you sit there and visualize it first. But if while you're visualizing the high jump, you take your hands and you move them rapidly as you're visualizing the jump, you bet it's 45% better. Well, that sounds crazy. What is that? Well, what's happening is that you're building a larger circuit that's working on this visualization that includes the, the movement centers as well as the visual centers. And the larger the circuit is, the more powerful the memory and the learning is. So for example, musical events, particularly religious musical events or ceremonial things that where there's meaning, where there's importance, where there's rhythm, where there's melody, where there's beauty, where you know the people, where you, all of these parts of the brain are working. Those memories are the strongest. And that's because there is this brain-wide neuroplasticity, I call it. So we want brain-wide neuroplasticity. You want to do things where you're involved in those. You don't want to just do something. Like people say, if I do crossword puzzles, I say, yes, you'll be great at crossword puzzles, but that's not what you need. You need something that is extremely meaningful to you that takes energy, focus, attention, movement, like gardening, dancing, art. So those are what build the brain. So you need to be active in the brain with meaningful activities. The other thing that's very important for some reason is nature. It's it's proven that if people walk in nature and they have an EEG on their cap on their head, they're immediately meditative. If, if you're in a hospital bed and you have a flower, you feel better. If you're in an apartment and you look down the hall, look down the street and you see a tree, you're happier, you're better. The brain is better. So something about being in nature is essential for the brain. And then the last thing I, oh, well, food, of course, obviously food, food is very simple. Don't eat junk because the junk has to, the cell has to deal with it. It has to get rid of it. You don't want chemicals. So you don't want chemicals in your food. And if you look at the label and you see these letters that you don't even know what they are, don't eat that because those are chemicals. So you want to eat food, not chemicals. And that's the most important thing. But of course, some certain things, if anything's magical about food, it would be berries or things like that. Or uh, there are certain magical foods uh, that have all kinds of, antioxidants and good stuff way beyond pills. You know, they have thousands of them that we don't even know about. Now, the last thing I talk about is decreasing stress, but how do you do that? Well, one way to do it is the way is using the way memory works. So memory takes new memories and associates it to the new cells of that day. And then that cell grows, it makes associations and then gradually replaces the old. So the new memory will not get rid of the old memory, but it will eventually grow stronger. So if you take your traumatic experiences and re-remember them with positive, some new love, some new aspects of something positive, like your positive psychology, you add the positivity to the memory, 
you then are chipping away at it. And if you keep doing it, you can gradually decrease the impact of these negative things. So these are the, I mean, I could talk for an hour about each of these things, but these are the six things that the brain needs. And it comes from the cellular science. I got five, I think. Sleep, exercise, nature, food, and decreasing stress. Sleep, exercise, food, oh, focus and concentration. Okay. Well, that that brings up the question that I had because I there's something that I've spoken about widely, and it's great to have the scientific support. That that sounded, if I heard you correctly, that in the older age ranges, uh, there's some things that can actually improve cognitively, not just that the decline can slow. Because I, I think that's one of the biggest concerns of the approximately half of, of my listeners who are in, in the 56th, second half century of life age range is, is the concern that cognitive decline is inevitable and maybe it can hold your own, maybe it can slow it. But you're saying, if I'm hearing you no, correctly, you're saying the older brain that uses these things that I'm talking about, and particularly that uses the brain for uh, activity, meaningful activity. It can be charity. It can be a good business. It could be whatever is meaningful, gardening, art. It doesn't matter. Whatever is meaningful, if you focus on it, you pay attention to it, you get into it, that is building the brain. And it builds the brain in this positive way. Like you say, the positive thinking creates positive circuits and it's a better brain. I have a whole uh, post on the science of this, uh, that the older brain, that, now I'm not talking about just the older brain. I'm talking about an older and active brain that is doing these things, that is actually uh, developing meaningful activity. It doesn't have to be going anywhere, but it has to be using the brain. That brain is actually better and it grows better and better, 120. I mean, it doesn't matter. The, the cognitive loss there are multiple factors, but a lot of it is, is are diseases, particular diseases, some of which are genetic, some of which are through bad lifestyle, you know, trigger genetic tendencies through bad food, through, you know, hurting the arteries, hurting uh, the, the blood vessels. You know, you want to keep your blood vessels okay. Uh, so that's why you need to eat properly and exercise and do these things. Uh, stress causes... Uh, so the, the things I mentioned create a healthy organ of the brain that will avoid, we all have tendencies to diseases. Some are going to happen because it's the genetic load is so great. And so there's nothing you can do about that. But many are in a, most actually are in a gray zone where the way you use the brain will help uh, avoid the worst tendencies. But even if you take all of that, it's not the majority. The majority of the of the brains are not having these diseases unless we cause the diseases or or we happen to have other diseases. I mean, you know, some diseases just happen and there's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, you take medications. I'm not saying we can, I'm not a Christian scientist thinking you can cure everything with the mind, but the way you behave has a lot to do with whether you fall into certain genetic tendencies or not and create a, 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 and, and, and stimulate more of the disease. Absolutely fascinating and should give anybody who's in the second half century of life and probably everybody else 
reason to read both of our books because I think that, you know, the, the goal is uh, particularly since many people are going to live into their 80s, 90s, 100 more, uh, you really want to not be spending it doing nothing. So one of the best ways of, uh, or being taken care of, so one of the best ways is to get in the habit of really using your mind actively. So uh, here you have the businessmen or businesswomen who have tremendous knowledge and expertise. When they finish, if they want to finish, they should use their brain maybe to train other people, mentor people, do do work uh, helping the world with their tremendous knowledge. I mean, and, uh, and keep active. There is something unique about charity and helping the community in terms of the immune system. If you take a, um, a bee, an African bee and a European bee, one is a calm bee and the African bee is an aggressive bee, and you change the hives when they're first born, the bees will become just like the hive and 200 genetic things will happen that change. So instead of these 200 genetic triggers, there'll be the environment will create these uh, genetic triggers. So we can change our brains up to a point. I mean, uh, by the environment, by what we do, how we think. Uh, so it's very important what we do. And there's something particular about helping the community and helping charity that builds immune, these they call them cytokines, the, the immune signals. It includes like markers of, of immunity. Well, my sixth key of rejuvenating is doing good makes you feel good. Now we know why. Yes, exactly. You know, the very, it's proven a very real reason. Well, there's so much that you've given us that make certainly should make all of us want to rush out and buy the book. Uh, I think when we're when we will be posted, uh, the book will already be out for a week or two. So. Uh, where will people be able to get it? And uh, it, again, you've kind of woven in a few things about it, but if, if you'd like to give any more of a summary, feel free to do so. But mainly also just how, how can we get it? Because I know I want to be among the first in line. Well, the book is everywhere. Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I mean, every online book seller has it on the hardbound was out, but it kind of ran out. The Kindle version is is there. The the audio version is surprisingly good. It won an award, actually. People seem to like the audio version, which you can get free on Kindle uh, if you're unlimited. But the paperback now is coming out on April 19th. So that will be available. And anyone wants to hold something, that's probably the best deal. And it'll be pretty much everywhere. And it's not expensive. So it's it, it's a book about cells. I mean, it's a little complicated in that it's detailed, but it's written for people who don't know any science. So it's very clear. There's no jargon at all, but it shows you how amazing the life of the cell is. And hopefully that, that'll inspire you to uh, see how dynamic your brain is, and then use it in these in the positive ways that, that your books have uh, mentioned. And since it's coming out on April 19th, and we'll probably be posting in May, the book is out. <laughs> and uh, so make sure, I mean, there's there's such great advice in it. It's been such an informative podcast. And uh, it's not just the book. Uh, there are other ways that people can follow you or uh, 
Yes, you mentioned a blog or things of that nature. Tell tell us about it. My blog is on a website. It's either called Searching for the Mind or johnleafmd.com, but no one knows how to spell leaf, so that's the problem there. It's it's L-I-E-F-F, which is, you know, no one knows. Some people don't know how to spell. Well, and John Wayne doesn't have an H, and no one knows that. Yeah. The only time people realized that was with The Daily Show. As soon as The Daily Show came and John Stewart, people realized you could spell it without an H. So you have J-O-N. Now, so John Leaf MD, and that's the Twitter handle. It's at John Leaf MD, or it's Facebook searching for the mind. The website is searching for the mind, or John Leaf MD. It's the same. It's all the same. And I'm sure that we will have a follow-up podcast in the future Great. because I have plenty of questions left to ask because we didn't really get into some of the areas uh, like chronic pain and headache where I've worked. Uh, viruses. That we didn't talk about viruses. And, yeah. Well, I know you've got a lot to contribute uh, to discussing those subjects. So I'm looking forward to kicking those ideas around with you. But in the meantime, I mean, this has been great. I really appreciate it. Uh, and it's been been not just the pleasure, but but really educational and looking forward to doing it again sometime. Well, thank you. It's been my great pleasure to be part of your work. Thank well, you. Well, thanks again. So this brings to a close another episode of Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. We've had a really special guest today in Dr. John Leaf, who's informed us about a whole lot of things. And between the podcast and reading his book, we'll have a a menu or an agenda for how to lead your life in such a way that you take advantage of the, the really great things that he's discovered about our bodies and our minds and our brains and everything that enables us to, to become the best versions of ourselves. And while I can't promise that we're going to top this next week, we will have another guest who is going to be really good and help us to, you know, move forward with our lives in a positive way and become the best versions of ourselves, be enthusiastic and so on. So in the meantime, I hope you'll visit the Mental Health Gym website. All the information that uh, we have on Dr. Leaf's book, website, and so on will be in the show notes. And until next time, then stay positive, stay safe, and looking forward to seeing you in another week. Uh, Again, just like always, hope you will tell your friends about the podcast, download it, rate it, write reviews, and so on. And I look forward to, to reading some positive words about, you know, how Dr. Leaf has had an impact on your life. Till then, take care. See you next week.